Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, so I got an Easter sermon to preach. And I want to begin my Easter sermon by letting Jesus preach his own Easter sermon. Because that's what you find in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. You find Jesus Christ preaching his own Easter sermon when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of death and Hades. This Easter, I want to preach on Christ Pantocrator. Christ Pantocrator. Pantocrator. Pantocrator means uh, all-powerful, almighty. And that word Pantocrator shows up in the New Testament ten times. Nine of the ten are in the book of Revelation. Jesus uses this word Pantocrator, all-powerful, almighty, to describe himself When in his Revelation Easter sermon, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, the Pantocrator, fear not. Because Jesus Christ is the Almighty Pantocrator who has the keys of death and hell, we can fear not. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Because hell doesn't even have its own keys anymore. What, what, what good are the gates of hell if you, know, you don't even have the keys to them? Jesus has the keys of death and Hades, death and hell. And that's why he says to us, fear not, because all fear, all fear is ultimately the fear of death. That is, all fear is the fear of loss in all of its many forms. Loss of love, loss of loved ones. Loss of purpose, loss of health, loss of life ultimately. So all fear is the fear of death, loss in all of its form. And the writer of Hebrews says that because we're subject to the fear of death, we live our whole lives in bondage. We're in bondage and we can't yet fully live. And so, they, so the, the writer of Hebrews says, because the children, that's you and me, consists of flesh and blood. Jesus also shares in flesh and blood with us, which that means he takes on our mortality, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver us all from the fear of death. Hallelujah. Jesus says, I have the keys of death and Hades, and I am the Pantocrator, so fear not. The good news of Easter is that Christ, not death, is the Almighty. Christ, not death, is the Pantocrator. 
And so that's what this is all about. This is what this is right here. This is a Christ Pantocrator icon. It is an adaptation. It is a version of the oldest icon in existence in the world, the Sinai Pantocrator. That right there, that's, that's actually, that's my picture of the Sinai Pantocrator. I took that on November 9th, 2006. Mm -hmm. That was after 25 years of pastoring Word of Life Church. And I made that appointment with God on the top of Mount Sinai. It was also the 32nd anniversary of Jesus crashing into my life when I was a teenager and calling me to follow him. And so I had a kind of a convergence of, of uh, anniversaries and decided I needed to, to uh, you know, reinstate myself as serving Christ. And so I made an appointment to meet God on the top of Mount Sinai at sunrise, November 9th, 2006. And coming down from the mountain, uh, Perry and I found a kindly Greek Orthodox monk who gave us a, gave us a tour of their very old monastery. And among the things he pointed out to us was that Christ Pantocrator, the oldest icon in the world. The gesture on, on Jesus' hand, this, this gesture, that's, that's the gesture of mercy. It's, it's the blessing of pardon, you're forgiven. And that, my friends, that's when the Almighty gives you mercy. When the Pantocrator confers upon you pardon. You know what we call that? Salvation, gospel, good news. That the Almighty is not threatening you or hurling a thunderbolt at you like Zeus, accusing you. No, he's giving you the gesture of mercy and pardon. Now, last month, all of last month, essentially, Perry and I were in Israel and we spent a good amount of time in Jerusalem. We got there a few days before our two pilgrimage groups arrived. And on our first day there, we were, you know, just like we wanted to do. The first day there, we're just wandering around in the old city. And we were in the Christian quarter. And we were on the Via Dolorosa. And we were at the third station of the Via Della Rosa. And right there, the third station of the Via Della Rosa is a icon gallery that we've visited many times. And we just thought we'd go in there and look at these uh, beautiful icons. What's the name of that gallery? The Hamadian Gallery, where, where George is the proprietor. And uh, we were looking around and, and then I saw this one. And I thought to myself, I don't think I can live without it. <laughs> I, think, I think this, this 19th century icon that was created in Moscow and then ended up in Jerusalem ultimately belonged in the upper room at Word of Life Church. I said, that's, that's really where that belongs. And so uh, I just whispered to Perry that I feel, felt like we need to have that for the church. And then I just sort of stepped aside, let her, because I'm, I'm terrible at negotiating. <laughs> I just, I just crumble. I, I, I. But, but Perry, on the other hand, she'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. There's George. He's a good man. Arab Christian there in 
the old city of Jerusalem. And so we obtained this. We got this, we got this icon and we're going to install it. We brought it out on Easter Sunday, but we're going to install it in the upper room because the upper room needs a little help. Uh, the church is, you know, coming back and all from COVID, but the upper room quite hasn't come back yet. And I love the upper room. I mean, I'm, we're talking about our prayer chapel here at Word Life Church. You understand that. And so I thought, well, we need to like have a grand reopening, a recommissioning or something like that. And so what we're going to do is Pentecost. That's coming up in, you know, seven weeks, June 4th. Pentecost Sunday night and then Monday night and then Tuesday night, Wednesday night, June 4, 5, 6, 7. We're going to have four nights of just good old fashioned prayer meetings. Have Pentecost in the upper room and we will have uh, the Christ Pantocrator will be established in there. Because this, this icon, which means image, icon just means image. This, this is an image of salvation. This is the almighty Christ blessing us with mercy. The Pantocrator conferring pardon. That is what salvation looks like. Omnipotence without mercy is damnation. I mean, if God's almighty but not merciful, well, you know, we're in trouble. And that's, that's the angry God of, I don't know, of some of those older isms like, yeah, Calvin's ism. I'm not here to pick a fight on Easter, but okay. Uh, you know, if God's almighty, but somehow not all merciful, then we're in trouble. And mercy without might is merely consolation. This is, this is the feeble God of some of the newer isms where, where God is portrayed as all loving, but not really capable. I mean, they're, they're questioning whether God is all powerful. It's, it's sort of a theodicy. It's as if God is saying, I, I can't really do anything about it. And that's not a sufficient answer for the problem of evil. But the Almighty bestowing mercy, this is salvation, and this is the God that is revealed in Christ. What we need mostly is mercy. And by mercy, I don't mean leniency. What we mean is the divine energy of grace. The, the energy of grace that comes from the living one, the one who says, I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of death and Hades. The energy that comes from that one, we need that to come into our life, we can call it mercy. That's what we mean by mercy, not just leniency, but the divine energy of grace. We, we need mercy, yes, we need the mercy of forgiveness. And this is what Jesus is like. Jesus is constantly forgiving sinners. And we need the mercy of healing because we're not merely guilty, we're mostly broken and we need healing spirit, soul, and body. But most of all, we need the mercy of eternal life. That is life that is greater than the grave. Life that overcomes death. Life that cannot be overcome by Hades. Life is, if life is ultimately ended in death, that we have this brief moment of being, but then we're swallowed up by non-being, it makes life almost a pointless absurdity. And so we must never forget that the most profound reason why the Logos became flesh was that through that flesh and mortality, divinity might enter into death and destroy it from the inside out. And that's why the church for 2,000 years on Easter Sunday has been saying Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. His death, he enters into death to destroy death. And upon those in the tombs, 
bestowing life. Now at the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples, whom he calls friends, that occurs in the, he says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. And he tells his friends at the Last Supper what's about to happen and what he's going to do. He says, he says, you cannot follow me right now, but you'll follow me later. He says, where I'm going, you can't, you can't follow me right now. He says that to his friends in the upper room. Where I'm, where I'm about to go, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. He, of course, is speaking cryptically about his death. He's saying, I'm going to get up from this table and the suffering is going to begin. And soon I'm going to go into death. And where I'm going, you can't follow right now, but of course you will follow later. And it sounds like it's very grim news, but then Jesus says this, John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, you, you can just apply that in sort of just a general way and, and let it be true. Fine, don't let your hearts be troubled. But Jesus is actually speaking specifically about the reality of our mortality. That Jesus is going to go into death and then he says, eventually you're all going to follow me. Jesus is saying to them, yes, you are going to encounter death, but don't worry about it. Don't let your hearts be troubled about it because I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to go ahead of you and do something about it. Remember, the great, the great problem that the incarnation of the Logos solves ultimately is death. Death is the big consequence of sin. God can forgive sin. This is God's very nature. But we still have the lingering problem of the ultimate effect of sin, and that is death. And Jesus says, I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to fix the problem so that death doesn't have the last word, so that the gates of death do not shut you in and keep you in the realm of non-being. Spiritual creatures with a rational soul, bearing the image of God, that's who we are, cannot be content if death is our final end. I mean, once we've been called into being, once, once we come to be, you know, every blessing of God is contingent upon the gift of being. We are. And yet if lurking in the back of our mind is, but soon I'll be gone, it robs life of its real meaning. And we can't be content with it. And we have to call death always an enemy. And Jesus understands that. And Jesus offers a solution to the problem of death. He will go ahead of us and fix it, which means conquer it, overcome it. Take the keys of death and Hades and possess them himself so that he can be our savior. Jesus Christ has preceded us in death. You know, you know that language from, from obituaries. When someone has died, they'll say survivors included and have family members 
But they'll also say, was preceded in death by so-and-so. We have all been preceded in death by Jesus Christ because he went to fix the problem. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Only God can solve the problem of death. So believe in God. I mean, God is the creator. God is the one that called you out of the abyss of non-being into, into being. Death threatens to undo that. Well, God can solve the problem. The problem of death can only be solved by God. So believe in God, but then Jesus says, believe also in me. In other words, believe in Jesus as the one who reveals to us who God is and what God is like. Don't make the mistake of saying, um, well, I'll just, go st- I'll just start reading my Bible and I'll just start in Genesis and I'll start there and I'll, I'll, I'll factor in a bunch of information I get from Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges, etc. cetera. And I'll, and I'll come up with an idea of God. And then when I get to Jesus, I'll go, okay, Jesus is that. Oh no, my friends, that's, that's the wrong, that's completely backward. Jesus is the alpha and the omega, which means you don't start anywhere other than with Jesus. Jesus is the alpha. You begin with Jesus and then you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, etc., in the light of what has been revealed in Christ. And Jesus is the omega. We don't grow beyond Christ. We don't start with Christ and say, well, now, now I'm expanding into, no, no, he's the alpha and the omega. And if we want to know what God is like, Jesus is the first and last word of what God is like. Every other revelation of God must bow before the alpha and omega. It's Easter Sunday. We might as well do some liturgy. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. So Jesus says, believe it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead of you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus goes down into death, the abyss of non-being, to prepare a place for us in the Father's house. What is, what is meant by the, the Father's house? I mean, is, is like, if you just take a spacecraft out there, you find God's mansion out there somewhere. The Father's house is the Trinity's habitation of infinite love. It is God's infinite love seen in the incarnate logos that will rescue us from death. Death could swallow up Jesus because he had taken on human flesh. He'd taken on mortality. But once Christ enters into death, his divinity destroys death. Because death can swallow the mortality of Christ, but death cannot digest the divinity of Christ and death is undone. And then what happens in the mystery of the Eucharist is that we are invited to participate in the divine nature. Jesus says this in John 6. He says, you eat my flesh, you drink my blood, you have everlasting life. 
because then we become a participant in the divine nature. This is what the apostle Peter talks about in his second epistle, that the promise of God is that you and I might participate in the divine nature. Okay, I'm gonna read you some theology. I probably shouldn't do this, but I can't help myself. I, I read this last week in David Bentley Hart's brand new book, and it's, 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 it's so good. From eternity, God has brought spiritual creatures into existence in the only way such creatures could be formed by calling them to ascend out of the darkness of non-being into the infinite beauty of the divine nature. That means that there was a time when you were not, but God called you forth and he calls you forth with a telos, with a purpose, with a goal, and that's to become his daughters and his sons to share his very life, to become like him, to bear his image and to have his own nature as your nature. That is to join the family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To exist as a spiritual creature is simply to have heard and from the very first instant responded to this total vocation. I mean, the ultimate call, you're, what are you here for? You're here to participate in the divine life of God to become the sons and daughters of the living God. Creation is already deification. That is a call to participate in the divine nature is in fact theogony for that eternal act. The summoning of all created natures out of the primordial darkness is most certainly an entirely free and unmerited gift of being imparted to those who were not in, in themselves had no claim to be. In other words, you couldn't create yourself. You ever had your kids say, I never asked to be born. And you say to them, well, if you would have asked, we would have said no. <laughs> no, you, you, you didn't ask to be, you didn't ask to be. It is a gracious gift of God that God called you out of non-being into being, and you didn't do anything to earn that or deserve that. You didn't ask for it. It just happened to you, but it also, and no less originally, is the call that awakens the gods. That is, awakens you to participate in the life of God and become the sons and daughters of God. This is the good news turned up to 11. This is not just, oh, your sins will be forgiven. You can go to heaven when you die. No, you can belong to the family of God. All right, so I've been talking about this icon here, this Christ Pantocrator with the, with the gesture of mercy, the blessing of pardon. But we got this other one over here. At the very, our first day in, in Jerusalem, we found this and thought, this, this has got to go in the upper room. And then at the very end, a month later, Perry found this in Bethlehem. This is a copy of um, the famous Rublev's Trinity made in 14, it might be 24, something like that. Uh, it's a very famous icon made by Rublev, but this is a new one. Uh, it's made to look old, but it's new, done by, made by some nuns in Beit Jala, the, one of the neighborhoods in Bethlehem. And uh, Perry liked that and thought that was just, that it was made by them. She thought that made it even more special. Uh, and so we thought, well, okay, that, that'll be the companion piece. And so we, we got these two icons and, and brought them back, but you got to, you see, have the, yeah, let's look at this. This is, it's, it's one, on one level, it's the hospitality of Abraham. It's the three angels that dine with Abraham under the oaks of Mamre in Genesis chapter, whatever it is, 20, I don't remember, 21 maybe. But, um, but it, but it, the, everybody calls it Trinity because it also confers that um, Rublev, 
Andrei Rublev created this in the 15th century during a time of war and uncertainty and hate was on the rise and he wanted his brothers to not enter into the house of hate and fear. He wanted them to live in the house of love and so he gave this as an object of meditation. And so we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There again is the gesture of mercy and pardon. And you'll notice that the icon is constructed in such a way as that there's a, there's a place open at the table and it's right in front of the viewer. And this is the invitation of salvation. That, that because the Pantocrator, the Almighty, Christ the Almighty, comes not with, not with a determination to damn, but with a determination to pardon, to bring the mercy of God, to bring the divine energy of saving grace to you. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons and daughters of God. And because, because of this, because Christ is mighty to save, almighty to save, because he is the Christ Pantocrator, the all-powerful, the almighty to save, it brings us to the table of the Holy Trinity. It brings us to the place where we can finally become who we were always meant to be. Your true nature, your true destiny, your true telos, your true vocation is to become a unique daughter, a unique son of the living God, but all participating in the family life of the Holy Trinity, that divine life. And that divine life is indestructible. That is the divine life that death cannot touch. And that's good news on Easter Sunday. We could say it this way. Christ, the almighty Pantocrator, goes into death and prepares a place for us in the Father's house. That's what this is. This is the Father's house. And Jesus is the one that calls us to come. He call, and if Jesus invites you, all you have to do is say yes. You, you, don't ha, you don't have to try to convince Christ to love you. He already loves you. You don't have to convince Christ to save you. That's what he came to do. He's right here now to save you. All you have to do is just say yes. You don't have to talk about whether you're worthy or not worthy or anything like that. You just need to say yes to the invitation of Jesus because he is already reaching out towards you with the gesture of mercy with the posture of pardon. He's not wanting to accuse you or condemn you. He's wanting to forgive you and then bring you into the family that you might sit at the table of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and become participants in the divine life. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. And this is the table we're coming. This is that table. This is that table where we are given the body and blood of Jesus. That is the flesh and the blood of divinity, of God, communicated to us in bread and wine that we might become flesh of his flesh, that we might become the flesh and blood presence of Christ in the earth and participate in the divine nature over which death has no authority. So the point is, when we come to the point of death, because, you know, as, as presently constituted, these mortal bodies will eventually wear out or break or fall apart and they're no longer tenable, no longer inhabitable. And we enter into what is called death, but you will not encounter death. You will encounter Christ as judge and savior who's gone before you to prepare a place for you in the Father's house. Say amen to that. Amen. And now join me in confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God 
the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, join with me in confessing to the Almighty who is all merciful our sins that we might receive forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is merciful, all merciful to those who confess their sins and in humility ask for his mercy because the mercy of God is new every morning. And in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. We're about to come to the table. In just a moment, ushers will direct you to, I don't know, about 12 stations here in the sanctuary. The ushers will show you where to go. And you'll come to someone that has some bread. And they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. And it is. Take a piece of that bread. And someone else will have a cup. And they'll say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And it is. Take the bread. Dip it in the cup. Participate in the divine life of God. For this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Amen.